You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Welcome to 30 to Curtain, a Center Theatre Group podcast. I'm Michael Ritchie, Artistic Director of Center Theatre Group. For each episode of this podcast, we talk with some of the talented artists working across our three stages, the Amundsen Theatre, Mark Taper Forum, and Kirk Douglas Theatre. Our guest on this episode of 30 to Curtain is Bill Irwin, who joins us at the Douglas with his tour de force and deeply personal play, On Beckett. Bill is regularly called a virtuoso, a master of his craft, and he has been officially designated a genius by the MacArthur Foundation. You've seen him in everything from TV shows like CSI and Sesame Street, to his Tony Award-winning turns in plays like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and Full Moon, roles he reprised here with Center Theatre Group. Bill is a multi-hyphenate artist and creator, and also exactly the right guide into the world and work of Samuel Beckett. I hope you enjoy this conversation, and I look forward to seeing you at the theatre. I was thinking as, as I was coming over here, I, uh, I first met you more than 30 years ago. Yes. Right? I know. And uh, we first worked together more than 20 years ago. So I, you know, I know you as the, as the man you are, but, but I, I don't know at all you as the child that you were. So given that we're in this place now um, uh, with not our relationship, but your relationship in the theater, what was it in your childhood? What t- tell me where it was in your childhood. What happened? Michael, you know, as childhood gets more distant, these are harder questions to uh, even address. I mean, I thank you for that question. I was born in Santa Monica, California, but didn't live there very long in in that iteration anyway. We moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma when I was a year and a half. And very Samuel Beckett-like, I love to think I have some memories from before we made that move to Tulsa, Oklahoma, but... They may or may not be real. So Tulsa, Oklahoma was quite a place to grow up in the 1950s. I haven't been back there since 1959. Wow. Yeah, but it's a huge place in my psychic memory. And it was a place I saw very little live performance. It was mostly early TV and the workings of my imagination. So sometimes when I stop and think that's where I grew up and and yet I am a theater worker, creature. Now it's, it's, it's striking, but those memories from then, very segregated society, kind of free, kids roaming the neighborhood, uh, separate neighborhoods. Um, and uh, in some ways it may be, a terrible place to grow up in some ways a really good place to grow up and percolate we moved when I was uh, 10 or 11 years old to LA but we lived out in the San Fernando Valley and I'm saying now I'm thinking thankfully in that day especially it was distant enough and culturally distant enough from the entertainment industry that my relationship to popular culture was kind of the same in the San Fernando Valley as it had been in Tulsa. Right. It was what I received via television and radio. But I did start to see things uh, where 
live performers were doing things. And uh, like I said, it's still kind of striking that this is my life, is live performance. So I was always asking, um, you know, the self-interested kid questions. Uh, what can I do? Is there anything that I do that is uh, special enough to be like those people I see on this medium. And yet, for whatever uh, lucky reason, I think my folks' uh, sensibility and whatever other lucky reasons, good teachers, I, I did, I guess, start to have some feelings of something like discernment between what was garbage and what was uh, really interesting, because early television as a man named Fred Friendly. Does that name mean oh, Of course, yeah. sure. I'm old enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm with you. you right? yeah. Yes, brother. <laughs> he he uh, famously said television was a vast wasteland, and that's what we spent most of our time relating to was that medium. And, uh, and there was a lot of waste. And Although in the waste, there's a lot of human behavior that you can soak up early television commercials. And, and I'm just wandering here, Michael, you've set me off, but Southern California being the place of my birth and the place partly of my growing up, my mother had, before I was born, taught school. So the TV is on, droning on endlessly, and there's a guy selling uh, Chevrolet's, uh, and she said, I taught him. No kidding. He was right. not a great kid. <laughs> <laughs> so the beginnings of seeing what's on that screen is actual people as opposed to just a field, which maybe the internet can be for kids today. I don't know. I'm too old to, to be able to address that question, really. But it, it started up, and um, Lord help me, I got in school plays and um, began to think about the connection between uh, somebody standing in a room and the contract between the person standing doing something and the people watching, and that's been much of my life. Leading right here to uh, Kirk Douglas with uh, this On Beckett Evening, which I'm flattered you call a play. <laughs> I don't know what to call it. Well, I, it's a lot of different things, but I will say that I do think that it's a play, and it's, it's both about a... Um, one of the great artists of our time, yes. and and in some ways perhaps even timeless. I mean, time will tell, but I think right. that you know there, there's that with Beckett. But also, it is the interaction with another great artist, you, oh. uh, that both interprets his work for yourself and for the audience, but through that also exposes a side of your creativity, your, um, your both intellectual and physical approach to his work in particular, but, the, you know, the, the art and craft of theater and clowning. Uh, so it is a, a fully realized evening that in some ways goes beyond even a play, but it is a mixture of your writing and your thoughts and his writing and his thoughts. Yes, as always, you are a very gracious man, and I'm very flattered. It's both, as I look at the development of this thing, which I've been emailing you over a series of years about this notion, and, oh, it's actually kind of a halfway show now. And, um, it, it's both um, 
self-serving, almost cynical use of, oh, I've got all this stuff in my head. Can I make an evening out of it? And coping mechanism. Like, this stuff is in my head. What am I going to do with it? And um, one thing I have found with Beckett's writing, it's utterly captivating to me, but I can only take it in small doses. So in some ways, the evening is is an attempt to... uh, Def, uh, refine down to some small doses that I can handle uh, sharing with people and that may be easier for audiences to handle is little chunk at a time. Right. Well, I, I think it's fascinating. This wasn't an, an exercise in a career to say, what can I do next? <laughs> oh, I think I'll do a piece about Beckett because, you know, some people find him interesting. This is more, I, I love the idea that it's a coping mechanism that there are there's this particular voice in your head. I have multiple voices in my head. <laughs> well, so you know, I drive and I turn the radio up really loud to you know to quell those voices. Well, I'm curious how many are literary voices that we would know, and how many are board members. Oh, and oh how no, many no, are, no. <laughs> it's the whole mix. It goes back to my childhood as well. Ah. It's I think it's, but I do think that we all have some. There is a voice, whether or not it's ours. There is a, a singular voice in our head. Yeah, that, that speaks to us frequently. This um, is the Beckett question: What is a human consciousness, and is it an argument of many voices? Or, and I've hope I've learned to kind of rein myself in in the evening and keep things going and concise as much as possible. But I used to blab on when I was first experimenting with this evening about how, even though I didn't know entirely what I was talking about, how. Uh, Beckett's multiple voices and inner argument kind of mirrors some uh, physical anthropologists and psychologists thinking about how uh, how human consciousness may have developed, like inner argument about safety. Yeah, go go for that. Go for that bison. Whoa, whoa, whoa hold back here behind right, the rocks yeah. where you're safe. Uh, inner debate all the time, and it may go way back to the beginnings of human. Development. I've been uh, fascinated with Beckett for a long time. Uh, had seen a, a, a lot of productions, including uh, you in, in uh, oh. Waiting for Godot at, at Lincoln Center. Wow. Uh, where actually I, I, um, uh, I remember going, I was working there at the time as a stage manager, and uh, it was an impossible ticket to get that production at, at the Mitzi Newhouse. Oh, God, yes, because it was the tiny theater, right? Yeah, there, right it was down in the Mitzi. And... Uh, uh, went in crowded theater, everybody was really excited, and the curtain was held just a little bit longer as a stage manager than I thought was <laughs> appropriate. And there was a, two empty seats next to me, oh. and in came John Bon Jovi, who sat down next to me. And <laughs> so <laughs> I, 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 I watched the show through my own eyes, but partly through John, John Bon Jovi's as well. And in intermission, he turned to me and said, pretty good, don't you think? <laughs> I was like, yeah, John. <laughs> yeah, I think it's pretty good. <laughs> You know, that theater adventure, working with Steve Martin, Robin Williams, Murray Abraham, uh, we would have bon jo- we would have Mr. Bon Jovi three rows back, and then there'd be a, uh, in the front row, there'd be a subscriber who came in and said, what is it worth saying? Exactly. It was the greatest mix. And when Robin, bless his soul, and RIP, when he saw somebody nodding, as is inevitable in the theater, especially subscription, okay. man, it set him off. <laughs> He's like a theater warrior. <laughs> People don't, eyes don't close when we're doing something here. Uh, 
Uh, God, yeah, that was some experience. I'm glad you saw that because, as I mentioned in the evening, critics weren't overly high on aspects of it. But I am so, it was a great, a great gift in life yeah, to get I to. I love that. I love that one. But I've always loved Beckett and uh, not on any kind of intellectual level at all. Interesting. I, yeah, no, it not at all. I am, uh, I am a student of Beckett in a certain way, mm. but uh, in a very visceral way. So um, have seen multiple productions, have read both the, the, the plays and the prose and uh-huh. biographies. And just there's something about him that sings to me in a way that I, I don't fully understand. Um, and Right, uh, right. It's it, not entirely it, understandable. But I gave up trying to understand everything long ago and just experienced it which for me has been a saving grace because I can go back multiple times now to productions and have them wash over me and nothing new happens, but it's like putting on an old sweater for me. There's something about the, the language, the, the, the rhythm, the, 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 the questioning that's in there that I just hold dear and I'm not fully aware why. But you have both, I think, at least from this play, I know that you have both an immediate connection to him, but you also have an intellectual bent towards him of about the hows and whys, which I, you might need in order to perform it. You might not need to find, to unlock a couple of things for yourself. I, I, yes, I've found it uh, necessary and joyful to yeah. take it on from that angle sometimes. But like you say, you can all, if that becomes fruitless, which it can, you can always uh, take it in like music or like... Uh, I was going to say ravings. Somebody came the other night and said, well, it's like the ravings of a madman. I don't think that's true. I, I mean, there is maybe a touch of madness there or an, uh, a looking for madness and what madness is. But he was among the most uh, erudite writers of the 20th century. Every bit, maybe as much as his, some people call him his maestro, his, uh, his mentor, uh, James Joyce. They just did different things with the erudition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, what strikes you personally about um, the writing? Is there anything in your history, in your background, in culturally? Well, there's a thing I've found myself saying in the evening fairly dependably. I, I shouldn't tell the producer, but it's a little fluid this this evening. It's a good, kind of changes. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. You know. It's structured. <laughs> it's structured. It's a structured play. <laughs> <laughs> but different things come out. But it is um, the voices that he... First of all, he's just a great character writer. I mean, I, maybe better than Joyce was. Joyce, for all his towering achievements, many of which I can't really comprehend or apprehend entirely. But uh, in some ways, Beckett may be a deeper character man. And these voices sound to me, something I say in the evening, like voices I've heard all my life from all over the world. Like, oh my God, that sounds like Ireland. Or that sounds like an older relative I remember from when I was very small. Or did I just hear so many stories about him as I was growing up that I thought I heard him when Mm -hmm. I was very small. So there's a grounding in Irish voice there. But also it sounds like people from Oklahoma. I mean, it's a great... It's a little hard to abstract or, or... extract lines from these Beckett pieces because they start to sound um, like one-liners as opposed to part of a tapestry. But there's a great section in text number one. Yeah, he's talking about the body and the head. And the, he says, I should turn away from it all, away from the body, away from the head. Let them work it out between them. 
that sounds like people I grew up with in Oklahoma. I'll let them work that out between <laughs> them. I, you know, I can't, I can't get into that. Mm. And so this writing, uh, it, it hits me on, on all those levels. I, it's kind of grotesque to think of Samuel Beckett as a TV writer, although it's not entirely. I think he would have been so good. He would have been David Milch-like, right. you know, in yeah. his feeling for character voice. Well, one of the things that I I know when you, when it's done well in this evening is is done well. I've I've always known that Beckett knew exactly what he was writing every single word, and when it's done well, the performers know exactly what they're saying with every word, and yet what they're saying may not be the same thing that he wrote, and yet when it's done well, it makes absolute sense. There is. Um, if there's a commitment to and a, a knowledge of it um, and an integrity to the performance, the audience can respond, I think, on both, on three different levels. Huh. Whatever Beckett's level is, whatever the performance is, and whatever yours is as well. Well, I, that may be, that's thrilling to hear you say that, and it may be the definition of great writing is that it's going to last beyond. In some ways, and I say this very carefully, but in some ways the writing coming out from under Mr. Beckett's um, control of it mm -hmm. uh, may be just unleashing all kinds of things like what you're talking about. He had something in mind, but it triggers something that will mean something in decades long after I'm gone. Right. Uh, and I compared in the evening to Shakespeare's language. Should poor old Mr. Will Shakespeare come back, he might just spin, shudder to know what we're doing with his language, but it really means something to yep. us. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, I know you really well as an as an actor. Um, in that, I have seen you in just you know straight plays, performances, yeah. roles, uh, a number of times over the years. Uh, but I also know you, and a lot of people know you um, as a clown as well. Uh, so, uh, what what came first for you, and what was and and I'm I, how do they always seem to fit together? Oh. Boy, are you kind? Because sometimes they are at war with each really? other. Or, you, you feel like they clash? Or sometimes you get, it's like trying to play baseball on a football field or, or, or the other way. Sometimes your musculature isn't in tune. But I do think essentially, and I, ask, I thank you for this question, because essentially they are the same thing. They're the same craft, just different sides of the same craft. And um, I don't know which came first, Michael. I would watch Jackie Gleason. Mm -hmm and work on, or Art Carney, to, and the two of them together, and work on this or that, or I wasn't entirely clear about working, or little, le, more déclassé, uh, soupy sales, you uh, know, uh, yep. in L.A. television. And I wasn't aware what I was doing, but I was just uh, emulating somebody. Both, all three of those men I've just mentioned actually were pretty fine actors, I right. have a feeling, along yep. with their uh, clown persona stuff. So, and I don't know which came first, but I am glad I went to UC among the many colleges I went to because <laughs> we all recall it was the Vietnam era. And I don't want to say that too lightly, but if you were in school, you tended to right. stay there, right. keep that deferment. And uh, I did not, I'm not a veteran and I salute my, the people I grew up with who, who did serve. The, some of the first stuff, class stuff I did at UCLA was just scene work training and 
boy, am I grateful for that. It was pretty straightforward and almost prosaic, but man, what a grounding, because I've met people over the years, like circus people, who have skills since de developed since childhood that we can't even imagine. But they didn't get that gift of looking at a page of dialogue and just having your instincts click in, like, what do I want? I'm, I'm this voice, and that's right. that voice, and what do I want? Uh, and so without that basic stuff, you're left often thinking, and even we experienced actors, quote, unquote, find ourselves sometimes saying, God, should I say this sad or should I say this angry, you know, instead of, whoa, whoa, back up, what does this character want? And that'll, that'll tell you how to right. say a line. So I, but I really don't know which came first. But uh, when I was working with the Pickle Family Circus in the 70s, I had had the benefit at UCLA a decade before that or half a decade before of basic scene work. And boy, was I lucky to have that. You know, I'm going to grasp this opportunity to... You said when we started talking here that we've known each other this long, we've worked together. There is an instance you may or may not remember of our working together, and I, I would have to work it out on my fingers to figure out which year, but this was when William Jefferson Clinton was... Oh, hadn't even gotten the Lord. nomination. Are you remembering? Now, now I'm starting to remember. Yes, yes. St. James Theater. Yep, of fundraiser. course. Yep, fundraiser. Greg Mosier produced for Bill. Yes. for Bill Clinton. Yep. And he was quite brilliant that evening, I must say. He handled hecklers. Oh, he, yes, yeah. that's right. He yeah. had a big heckling coming from, from the balcony, and he just... He held the room and held held a conversation. He did. I remember that, he yes. He did. It was very impressive. I think it uh, solidified Yes, now I'll, I'll, I'll drop a name. I was standing with Hillary <laughs> off stage at the time. I stage managed that evening. Yeah, were we And Hillary from? was quite upset, but I was able to calm her down. God, these these histories. <laughs> we sh you should write a book, uh, Mr. Yeah, Ritchie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> were you calling that from off stage, not yeah, from a booth? Yeah, I was off stage. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. I was off left. I remember it vividly. God, yeah. I bet you would. Yeah, no, and I remember you. It was quite an evening of, of entertainment. So I was also the um, the announcer of the acts. Oh my God, and right. I do remember that um, uh, Will Rogers Follies was playing on, on Broadway at the time. And I had to introduce Keith Carradine, right. who was playing Bill Rogers. Right as the poet lariat of Broadway. <laughs> I don't know who wrote that line, but it Probably just, Will Rogers it's, it's himself, stuck right? with me for like 30 years. However long ago that was, it was it's, during the election, so. It would be like 30 years, yeah. Yeah, yeah or a little more. Yeah, there you go. It was quite an evening because Savion Glover went on and he didn't even tie his shoes in those days. <laughs> And I suspect you may have said, how long will Savion do? And then, well, <laughs> yeah. It's up to him. It's up to him. Yeah. It was a loose evening but a fantastic evening i wouldn't have sat in your chair for anything oh it was great yeah i remember it so well so well um uh did you ever meet beckett very briefly toward the end of his life totally wasted opportunity i realize now uh, but I, you know who i have to thank for it is the wonderful man of the theater mel gusso no kid yeah gusso was a friend of beckett's right. beckett was a incredibly dutiful correspondent. I got a couple postcards from him, and uh, pre-internet, uh, Mel was in touch with him all the time. Mel set, set up a meeting, and I met him across the street from his apartment. And again, this is within a year and a half of his passing away. He was, he was old, but mighty impressive. Uh, 
And I was so shy, I looked at the table most of the time. So my memory of that, which I've never sufficiently sat down to write memory notes of, but my vivid memory is of his hands. Samuel Beckett's hands were really gnarled. I'm doing it here. You can't perceive it on the radio, of course. That's radio. Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, Yeah. oh, that clown actor you just did two minutes ago was wonderful. I'm sure the audience (laughs) loves that as well. Yeah. Yeah. His hands were so gnarled. (laughs) Oh, the hat tricks are kind of wasted. I know on the radio. And after the fact, I mean, again, my my eyes were so dawned on his hands because I couldn't look up at his face too much. But um, and it wasn't necessarily because it wasn't just because he was one of the greatest writers of the 20th century. It's just he's an imposing guy, and uh, it was amazing that he took some time to meet me. But later, I found out from various sources that he was quite a pianist. No kidding. Had been Beckett. Yeah. Now, even having read biographies, I don't remember that coming up. Anywhere as a child or in his adulthood, it I, must be in there somewhere. I missed it. Yeah, I think it has to be in there. And uh, one of the sources for me is Edward Beckett, the wonderful, his nephew, yeah. Samuel Beckett's nephew, who runs or oversees the work of the estate. Right. Yeah, there's just layer upon layer of things that will yeah. whack you out on this guy. When I, in the evening, when I talk about his having served with the French resistance during the war, and again, to keep myself shorter in time, I don't mention that he... It was awarded by the French government pretty hefty medal, like the third or fourth, second, third or fourth level medal that right. you get for uh, service to the, the Republic because of his work with the resistance. So he was both a guy who lived in his head, I mean, to his own distress often, but he was a man of action right. too. No, I, uh, as, as much as I have always loved Beckett as an audience member, um, I had never stage managed nor produced any really? Beckett until I came here to Los Angeles, and it took me quite a few years. And then I just couldn't, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> so uh, eventually started with Waiting for Godot and did the, the the four major plays, and then other evenings such as is this one. Uh, and at first, I was you know dumbfounded by the incredible. Um, um, pleasure that the audience took in Beckett here in Los Angeles. Now, I can't compare it to anything else. No, but it, isn't it something? Yeah, and it really surprised me, and, and I guess it's because I didn't know what to expect. So, of course, you expect the worst, no right. matter what the situation is, right. you know, as a human being or even more as an Irish Catholic, in fact. <laughs> you know, even when you expect the best, you expect the worst. worst. <laughs> it could be. But, but so the reaction to me really surprised me and was reinforced every time we've done Beckett and like I said, I can't compare it to anywhere else. But I do think that there is something here in Los Angeles in the soul of this city that has a sensibility of that existentialism, that that we are here, mm. why are we here, what can we do about this, what does it mean, um, that may be more present here than, than elsewhere. Well, I was emailing to friends who are coming through town from Ireland, and they'll see the show, and I said, remember... You're coming to a desert. Don't think of this as a tropical place. Bring bring layers and stuff because it's not like being in Hawaii right. uh, with that kind of humidity and temperature. So you're going to feel the swings of temperature. You, it's the first thing I ever read of Beckett's, and I again I used to mention this in the evening, but there just isn't a place for it. Is a little play. It's not a great play actually, but it's the first thing I ever read called Act Without Words. One and it's a mime play, and he his use of stage directions is so striking in that. 
But I think the first thing he says is, desert, dazzling light. That's the setting. And so get off the airplane at LAX. Yeah. That's where you are. Yeah. That's where you are. Uh, We're fairly well into the run here. Uh A couple of weeks. We have a few weeks more. Um, Let us know what your day is like leading up to this particular performance. Can you ever let the show go when you're performing it? Are there parts of the day or days off? And what do you do to prepare to walk onto that stage at night? I'm always afraid of letting this show go. The more I get to do it in your beautiful theater... And let me just return to this, to, to uh, the audiences that come to the Kirk Douglas. The, I, don't know, I don't know where the, how you've, how they filtered through your system, or uh, but they're just really great listeners, discerning. You can tell when you're off, and you can tell when you're on with them. And um, I'm afraid of letting it get away. Now, the more I do it and the more I get to settle into this building, which is such a joy, I can relax a little bit more. I have tried to be in the ocean fairly consistently because I'm an old body surfer and it's a, it's a vision of childhood Good and relationship. For you. To the ocean. Yeah, well, yes and no because yesterday I went to the chiropractor walked out feeling pretty good and maybe I don't have to go through every word during the day of the show and I maybe I can got in the ocean with my new fins that I had bought got so whacked around in that surf yeah and I came out a little humbler I hope <laughs> and uh, yeah. back just a little sore and but knowing that the ocean is right there and it's the ocean that I was born within a half a mile of it just means something yeah. to me yeah yeah. Well, it's been, uh, you know, a, a real pleasure to have you here with this particular show. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Um, and I hope there's more to come oh, for, for the two of us and uh, maybe even with Beckett. So. Uh, it's a true pleasure, Michael, and I, I can't tell you how grateful I am to be at your theater. All right. More to come. Okay. Good. Thanks. You've been listening to 30 to Curtain, a Center Theater Group podcast. You can find out more about On Beckett our organization, and upcoming productions on our website at centertheatergroup.org. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.